we're in week number three of this series. It's called Zealous. And oh, by the way, I want to encourage you one last thing. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you, um, you know, we, these are our daily devotionals. They're written, there's five day a week devotionals. And you can grab a copy of this on the way out after service. Um, it helps you get in the word on a regular basis. Here, Mike, on a daily basis. So, so the title of this four week series is called Zealous. And we've been talking about this guy named Elijah. And all the incredible things that God did in his life. And God used him. Miraculous things happened in this guy's life. God used him in super, super powerful ways. In particular, the previous chapter, chapter 18, um, that we're not going to read. Caleb talked about that last week. Um, Elijah is, comes face to face with this king and a queen, King Ahab and, her, and his queen. Her name is Jezebel. And they were the king and queen of Israel. And they were not followers of God, of Yahweh. They were following these false idols. And they were not only following, but they were funding the worship of these false idols. And it was leading their country astray. And this guy named Elijah, he was a prophet. And a prophet is just simply a spokesperson for God. God would speak to them, and God would speak through them to, to his people. So that's what it means to be a prophet. You're a voice piece, a spokesperson for God. And so um, we find that Elijah would speak for God on behalf of God to his people and to help direct them back to the worship of God. Um, and that happens at times. You know, we, we, God speaks to us and we, we, we find out I've, been, I've not been following God in a particular area of my life and I've been distracted, whatever, and, you know, I haven't surrendered something to him and I haven't necessarily been following him with all of my heart. And so chapter 18, Elijah has this big confrontation and there's 850 prophets that don't worship God and they're leading people astray. And Elijah says, hey, let's, let's see who the real God is. Yahweh, God, the God of Israel, or your idol, your false gods. And so we're going to have a contest and we're going to see whose God responds. And so Caleb read it last, so I'm not going to take all the time, but so Chapter 18, we find the story, you know, he's like, okay, we're going to have a contest, see whose God responds. So they make these altars and, you know, they call down the, the, the prophets, so these false prophets call down their God from the heavens and nothing happens. You know, of course, because they're false gods, they're not real. And, um, you know, he's like, why don't you guys shout a little bit louder? Maybe your God is sleeping. Why don't you shout a little bit louder? Maybe he's on the toilet. You know, I mean, that's what, it, it, you know, if you go back and read the Hebrew, that's what it literally says. Maybe he's on the toilet, right? He's making fun of them almost. Like he's mocking them. And they start cutting themselves and nothing happens. And he says, okay, my turn. And then they drench this, this sacrifice with water and all this stuff. And he calls down God and fire rains down and consumes the, um, consumes the sacrifice. And the people were like, oh, God is real. You know, yeah, we need to turn our hearts back to Yahweh, to God, the God of Israel. And then Elijah, one other part of the story that, you know, just happened. Elijah, three years earlier, had told the king and the queen that it's not going to rain for three years. Um, and kind of a consequence or disobedience, doing their own thing, God's going to prove himself. So it doesn't rain for three years. And all of a sudden, there's this confrontation with 850 prophets. And Elijah's 
God proves, Yahweh, God proves that he's real. And then Elijah says, oh, King Ahab, by the way, it's going to rain. I know it hasn't rained for three years, but God has spoken to me and it's going to rain. And once again, God is proving himself to be real. So King Ahab, you better get in your chariot and you better make your way back to the capital, to Jezreel, where your queen is. Because if you don't make it back quickly, it's going to get muddy and your chariot's going to be stuck in mud and you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So I think we have Jesse uh, chapter 18. So the preceding verse to chapter 19, this is what happens. It says, the Lord gave special strength then to Elijah and he tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariots all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. So I want you to picture with me. Elijah had just had this contest. God proves himself to be real. Elijah had said three years earlier, it's not going to rain. There was a drought for three years. All of a sudden, God, Elijah says, it's going to rain, and it rains. And he runs to this capital, to Jezreel, where Ahab and his queen Jezebel are. And I, you know, I, 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 you know, I wonder, well, why did Elijah do that? And I think he thought... Oh, God, you just did these incredible, powerful things, and your people are now going to follow you. And Queen Jezebel, who was not following you, and King Ahab, who have not been following you, they're going to turn their hearts over to you, and they're going to say, oh, God, you're real. Like you've showed up, and you did something, and, and I'm going to follow you, God. And so I think that Elijah had this expectation of what was going to happen so he goes to have this conversation with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Chapter 19, though, tells us the rest of the story. So chapter 19, verse 1 says, When Ahab got home, he told his queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done. He's like, Jezebel, you're not going to believe it. The 850 prophets that we've been paying for sponsoring that tell us to worship this, this other god named Baal. Yeah, Elijah was up on this mountaintop and they had this big confrontation and Yahweh, God, Elijah's God, proved to be the real God. And then Jezebel, you know, Elijah said three years ago it's not going to rain. Well, he prayed and God told him and he told me it's going to rain. And guess what, Jezebel, it's, right? It's raining. Isn't this crazy? He's telling her all these things. And it says, so Jezebel, when she heard this, says that she sent this message to Elijah. She said, oh, Elijah, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow Yahweh now. He's the one that's true and the one that's right and the one that's pure and holy. I'm going to follow him. I've been wrong. That's what she said. No, she actually said, Elijah, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you've killed all of my prophets. Jezebel did not respond at all like Elijah thought she was going to respond. Have you ever been in a situation like that where God speaks to you, does something in your life? There's a miracle that happens in your life, something powerful, and, you know, and 
Then you share it with other people, and they're like, ah, yeah, you're a joker. I don't believe you. You know, I don't believe any of this stuff. And you're like, what? God just did this incredible thing. And they're like, yeah, I don't believe any of it. You're an idiot. That's basically what Jezebel was like. All of a sudden, he faced all these prophets, and God revealed himself. And Jezebel responds not by her heart being softening. Her heart gets even harder. She says, well, I'm going to kill you, Elijah. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. He just faced down 850 prophets. But in the face of one woman, he runs. He hides. It says that he's afraid of this one woman. He thought she was going to respond like, oh, I'm going to serve God. But not at all. Her heart got even harder. It says Elijah went to Beersheba, which was a town Scholars tell us it's probably about 100 miles away. So he runs 100 miles because he's afraid of this queen. He runs to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And I always thought, God, why did you include that little detail? He left his servant there. What does that mean? Elijah was super discouraged. And at this point, it's like he had a staff. And he's like, I'm done. I'm firing all my staff. I'm quitting the ministry. I'm quitting what I'm doing. And I'm done. I'm checking out. So it says he left his servant. He left his staff. He's like, I'm done. It says that he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. Elijah was so discouraged that God didn't do what he thought he would do. He was so discouraged because people didn't respond the way that Elijah thought they would respond. I thought about titling this message, Christians get depressed too. Right? Because that's how... Elijah was discouraged. You can think of all the Ds. He was discouraged. He was depressed. He, you know, he was, he was just, he was like, God, what is going on? He was this great man of courage and faith. And he gets so discouraged. He's like, God, just kill me now. I want to die. And there are probably some of you here in this room. That there's probably been a time that you've prayed and said, God, you're not doing what I thought you would do. God, I, I did all the right things. Elijah did everything right. When God told him to do something, he did it. When God told him to confront people, he did it. He did all the things right that he should do. And God did not do what he thought he was going to do. And people didn't do what he thought they would do. He was like, I just want to die. And some of you are like that. Some of you, you're like, man, I prayed the right prayer. I followed you, God. I did what I I thought you wanted me to do, and my marriage still fell apart. God, I did what I thought you wanted me to do at work, and I still got fired. God, I did what I thought that you wanted me to do, 
I gave the way I thought you wanted me to give, and I'm still not making it, God. I just, you know, I see no hope. I see no end. People are not changing. God, you're not doing what I thought you would do. God, would you just kill me now? Now listen, if you've prayed that prayer, you're in good company. Because there's a lot of people in the Bible who've prayed that prayer. You know, I want you to know, do you realize that Moses prayed and said, God, would you just kill me? Not just Moses or Elijah, but King Solomon prayed that prayer. God, would you just kill me? Jeremiah prayed that prayer. God, would you just kill me? Jonah prayed that prayer and said, God, would you just kill me? Because Christians get depressed too. Christians get discouraged too. Overwhelmed. Because God, I just, it's just, it's not working out. Life is not happening the way I thought it should happen. But I want you to notice something else about that. That he prayed that prayer, but Moses, these are great pillars of Judaism, of Christianity. Moses, Elijah, King Solomon, they all prayed that. Jeremiah, they prayed that and said, God would just kill me. But all of them realized that they did not have the right to take their own life. They knew, God, you're the one who gives and you're the one who takes away life. And I don't have that right to take my life, even though I want to die. The Apostle Paul, even in the New Testament, he realized and he knew, he said, well, it's way better for me to be in heaven than here on earth. Like, I really would rather be in heaven. So he didn't pray that God would take his life, but he knew life with God would be far better than in this broken world where people are dying of cancer, where marriages are falling apart, where people are disappointing you, when people's hearts are getting hard. But they all knew that they didn't have that right to take their own life. Elijah goes on. He says, God, I've had enough. God, I just cannot stand it any longer. That's why he quit. That's why he checked out and told the servant, hey, you, you stay here. I'm done. I've had enough, God. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. In other words, he's saying, God, I'm done. I'm just as much as a failure. Yeah, sure, God, I prayed and, you know, defeated 850 prophets and didn't reign for three years. And yeah, sure, God, but I'm a failure. I mean, look at my life. Look, I've tried to speak your word and witness about you and I get this disaster. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm a failure, God. You ever felt like that? You don't need to raise your hand, but right? God, I'm just a failure. I mean, look at me. I'm stuck in my same old mess. I tried to tell people about you, Jesus. Nothing. I tried to save my marriage. Nothing. Fill in the blank. God, I'm so sinful. Just like all of my ancestors. Christians get depressed too, discouraged. And then he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, 
get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread that was baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he went back to sleep. Then the angel came again and touched him again. He said, Elijah, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank the food that was given to him. It gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. It's interesting in this passage that God is patient with Elijah. Like he's really, really gentle and really, really patient with Elijah. I mean, we're talking, this has been going on for months now where he's been running on the run and hiding. God doesn't rebuke Elijah and say, oh, Elijah, you're an idiot too. You know, where's your faith, Elijah? Why are you doubting things so much? Just trust me, Elijah. It's like, and most theologians would say, it says that an angel of the Lord touched Elijah and fed him. Most people, most theologians would say that was probably Jesus Christ specifically that was ministering to whatever God was caring for Elijah. It's interesting in this passage that, that Elijah is depressed and discouraged and God ministers to him. You know, and he provides for him physically. You know, we, if you've been following along the last couple of weeks, we've seen how God has provided for Elijah with a widow who made food for him. God has provided miraculously with that, with that widow and how her food didn't run out when she thought it was going to run out. God provided for Elijah through ravens. And now God provides for Elijah through this angel in a supernatural way. And God, he's always telling us, so always wanting to remind us, like, listen, I've got so much more provisions for you than you can even possibly imagine. I'm going to provide for you. God's patient with Elijah. The Lord said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here in this place of discouragement? Elijah, what are you doing here? In this place of depression. You know, when God asks a question, he's never asking a question to get an answer from us. Like, he already knows. God is trying to reveal something to you when he asks a question of you. He was trying to reveal something to Elijah. He's like, Elijah, what are you doing here in this place of discouragement in your life. God's patient. He's listening to Elijah. And Elijah doesn't say what he's doing. Elijah kind of gives him this reason. He says, well, God, man, I've done everything right. I just don't get it, God. 
I've zealously served you. I've been passionate, sold out. I've been all in, Jesus. But the people, man, they've turned their back on you. They've torn down your, those places of worship. They've mocked them and they've torn those places down and they're following all these other things. They've killed all, every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Later on, we'll learn at the end of this chapter or end of this section, God says, Elijah, you're not the only one. There's 7,000 other followers of mine. But so often, right, we get in that place of discouragement and depression. And we're like, God, where are all the rest of the Christians? Those people who really know you and want to follow you because I don't think they're out there. And we lose perspective, right? When we get in that place of discouragement and depression. And we don't think that God's doing what he should be doing. And we don't think that other people are doing what they should be doing. And Elijah, he just, he doesn't, God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah doesn't tell him what. He just says why he's there. He doesn't really answer the question. He doesn't say, well, God, you know what? I'm on the run. I'm kind of hiding. I'm kind of running from what you've called me to do. Because I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to be faithful and do what you've asked me to do. I just want to hide. I just want to get in my place and be alone. And be discouraged. Because says, what are you doing in this place of discouragement? Well, I just said, God, this is why I'm here. But he doesn't say, God, I, I don't want to do anything. I want to do nothing, God. You ever been like that? God, I don't want to do anything. Notice in this passage that God deals with Elijah in his depression, his discouragement. He doesn't say to him, well, Elijah, you just need to go out and pray more. Sometimes as Christians, like, you know, we think the way to handle discouragement and depression is just tell somebody else, just do all these right things and just go pray more. And we try to spiritualize depression or discouragement. Or sometimes we go the opposite extreme. We say, oh, you're depressed, you're discouraged. Well, just go take a pill. Just, just go deal with it, with a pill. Sometimes as Christians, we're like, well, just, you know what, you know what the real problem is, is you need counseling. Go, go talk to Pastor Brad, or better yet, go talk to Randy, because they'll tell you what to do. They'll listen to you. Just go, just go talk to somebody. And in this passage, we see that God deals with Elijah. He deals with him physically. He allows him to rest. He feeds him. He deals with him emotionally. He listens to Elijah as Elijah pours out his heart and he talks to God. He deals with them spiritually. He's going to give him some direction here at the end of this chapter. Like God deals with us on each one of these levels. When we go through those seasons, those moments when we're feeling just beaten up. God doesn't just deal with them in one way in particular. He says, Elijah, go out as you're hiding in this cave. Go out and stand before me on the mountain. So this mountain that Elijah went to, it's called Mount Sinai. 
Some Bible translations say it's called Mount Horeb. It's the same thing, just different, different translations. And you know why Elijah went there? Because that was the mountain where Moses, one of the other guys who said, God, just kill me now, where Moses went to hear God's voice, where God gave him the Ten Commandments. So Elijah runs that 300, over 300 miles from where he started all the way down to spot. And he goes to this mountain where Moses had met with God. He went back to something that was familiar. God says to him, Elijah, go out and stand before me on this mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. Like all these big, all these dramatic things happen. A wind, an earthquake, and a fire. And sometimes we're like, okay, God, if you don't speak to me in something big and dramatic, then I'm never going to hear your voice. And sometimes, even in our previous chapter, like God rained down. And God sometimes moves in dramatic ways. The previous chapter, God moved in dramatic ways in, in, a, in fire. And people are like, oh, I'm going to follow you, God. But then the next day they're like, oh, yeah, I'm back to doing my, my same old thing. Oftentimes when someone changes their life and begins to follow God just because something dramatic happens, lots of times we don't see long-lasting fruit of that. But it was in the still, small, quiet voice. It says, after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. Elijah was listening for the voice of God. And when you're in that season of depression and discouragement, you don't have to look for God in the dramatic. And that may happen. But oftentimes it's in the quiet voice of your heart. And Elijah heard that sound. And said he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And God says to him again, Elijah, what are you doing here in this place of discouragement? What are you doing, Elijah? I think Elijah wrapped his face in the cloak. Because God's presence was just so overwhelming. There have, mo there have been moments in my life that I can think back to. And maybe you've had that kind of experience or not. I don't know. But I've had moments where I felt God's presence. It wasn't something big and dramatic. But it was just like overwhelming. I think Elijah probably was overwhelmed as he's in that place of discouragement and depression, he's overwhelmed with God's presence. Sometimes it happens to people when they're listening to a song and they feel God speaking to them, revealing himself to them. They hear his voice. Sometimes it might happen all of a sudden you're reading the Bible and boom, it jumps off the page and God's word comes alive. You're like, whoa, I've, you've read it a million times. All of a sudden it speaks to your heart like it's never spoken to your heart before. And God's like, hey, Danielle, I'm trying to speak to you this morning. Sometimes it's like in a conversation with somebody else and all of a sudden they say something and you're like, oh, this person can never even, they would never even begin to know that God was speaking to me through this other person. 
And it just is almost like overwhelming. I remember one time, I don't know, like six years ago, myself and some of the elders, we were out in California for a conference. And, and I, felt like, I felt like God, um, there was a guy that was getting ready to leave this conference. And he was a young guy in his early 20s. And I felt like God wanted me to wash this guy. I didn't know this guy from anybody. And I felt like God wanted me to wash his feet. And I hate, I just, I don't, I hate feet. I'm not going to lie. It's just the most disgusting thing in the world. But, so I apologize, but it's just hard for me. And God's like, I want you to wash his feet. And I'm like, oh, Lord. And I'm like, well, anyways, I made up all these excuses why I couldn't do it, you know. But I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to go into the room. And if there's, a, if there's a sink and a bowl in there, I'll do it. Knowing that there's not going to be a sink and a bowl. But of course there was a sink and a bowl. <laughs> and Randy, the guys could tell you, so what am I going to do? And so I did. And I, and I just remember being overwhelmed. Like to the point where I'm like, God, please stop. Leave me alone. <laughs> like this is just too much. Like I just couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, literally, it was just and I think Elijah was probably like that in that moment where he covers his face because it's like, God, I'm so unworthy and your presence is just too much. He says, Elijah, what are you doing in this place of discouragement? And again, he doesn't confess and say, God, well, I'm running from you. I'm, I'm running from what you've called me to do and I'm hiding and God, I don't want to do anything. He just, again, verse 14, he says, like, God, I've been really zealous you know, I've served you on and on. He said it's the exact same thing all over again. And the Lord replies to him in verse 15. He says, Elijah, I know you don't feel like you're worthwhile. I know you don't think that you're worthy. I know you don't think that I can use you because you think you're a failure. You think because you're depressed and discouraged you think because people are not doing what you think they should, and I'm not moving the way you think, you think I don't have a plan and I, I have a purpose for you. But Elijah, you are so wrong. I've got a purpose for you. And part of the way out of this discouraging season, this funk that you're in, is to listen to me and respond to my calling upon your life. I have a purpose for you. The Lord says, Elijah, go back the same way that you came all 350 miles and travel to the, to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint this king, King Heziel, to be the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, who's going to follow up and take your place. He'll replace you as my prophet. Um, and he says, verse 18, he says, Elijah... Elijah, I know that you think you're the only one, but I've preserved 7,000 others who have never bowed down. Like, Elijah, you're not the only one. I know you're discouraged. I know you're pessimistic. But Elijah, will you trust me again and follow my purpose for your life? So often I want you to know that I think that one of the best ways out of that funk of depression and discouragement is when we say, okay, God, when he says to you, when he says your name, he says, what are you doing here? I say, God, well, I, I, I confess. I've just been so discouraged that I've been hiding, I've been running. I don't want to do anything. 
But now, God, I'm confessing that I'm going to turn my heart back towards you as you reveal yourself to me in your word, as you speak to me in your word, because it was a still, small voice. And God, I'm going to return to following whatever it is that you have for me. And I think oftentimes when we respond to God in that way, that's when we see God moving and we see ourselves getting out of that funk and that depressing, that discouraging time in our life. I've already said all these things, but just for some of you who like to write these things down, on the back of your, um, the back of your thing there, your North Point Weekly, um, there's, there's, there's fill-ins, right? And what do we see here? All these P words that I just wrote out, right? We see God's patience with Elijah, right? In verses 1 through 9. Again, God doesn't chide or rebuke or chastise Elijah. He listens to him. He's pay- this has been going on for months and months, months at least. And, a lot, and God's patient with us during those seasons of discouragement. I think we see God's provision, right? God meets the needs of Elijah's life. And I already told you these things. When he's depressed, discouraged, we see physical, emotional, and spiritual that God cares for Elijah. He provides for Elijah. He meets the needs in his life during that season when he's discouraged. We see God's provision. We see God's presence. Again, God doesn't beat Elijah up, but he reveals himself. He speaks a gentle word to him. He speaks that gentle word to Elijah. And that's what Elijah was longing for was God's presence to know who he really is. And God's revealing himself. And then, of course, we see God's purpose. He says, Elijah, I've got a purpose for you. Will you follow my purpose for your life? There's only one other passage I want to share with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesse's the last one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is speaking. And he says this. He says, brothers and sisters, those of you who are followers of Jesus, this morning, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I'm sure that Elijah felt useless. I'm sure that Elijah felt, and it's, it's crazy, it's shocking. Like this is like, like in Christianity, you know, this is like the pillar. Like, whoa, you don't get much higher than Elijah. And he felt useless. He felt like a failure. He got miserable, discouraged, depressed. And the Bible reminds us, listen, when you work for the Lord, nothing you do is ever useless. And it's a promise. And it's a reminder to you this morning that God has a plan and he has a purpose and you're not a failure. And God will be patient with you this morning as you follow him.